I'm Trillia Newbell, and this is Stories of Sacred Endurance, a podcast about persevering in Christ through the ups, downs, challenges, heartbreaks, and journey of life. Every episode, we will talk to a fellow saint who can teach us something important about enduring in the faith. I am so excited to welcome June Chang onto this Stories of Sacred Endurance podcast. June is the China correspondent for World Magazine. She covers persecution in the church, as well as culture and politics in China. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you do really important work. And I think that some people wouldn't fully understand um, what it is that you do, but what is the difference between the persecution of Chinese Christians faced under Mao, um, which would have been from 1949 to 1976, versus the persecution of Chinese Christians that that they face today? Yeah, so... Back then, that was uh, the founding of the People's Republic of China. And at that time, they kicked out all the foreign missionaries who were in China. Um, and so there was a, a smaller number of local Chinese people who had, who had already become Christians. Um, and so at that time, uh, there, was, there really was an underground church. Uh, there were pastors who were in prison because they wouldn't join the three self-patriotic movement, which is the government-sanctioned churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were put in prison. And there was this term called, you know, getting your seminary training in prison, uh, which is that they didn't have any formal training, but they would experience prison and they would uh, grow spiritually from that. And then, so there really was a very harsh persecution at that time. Um, but amidst that, uh, there was, God was still working in all of that. And you could see um, in like the rural countryside areas, uh, people would be, there would be miraculous healings. um, And there would be, those Christians would be evangelizing. um, They'd be meeting in secret. And sometimes they would only have like one book of the Bible and everyone would read it. They would uh, memorize it and they would go out and evangelize and share the gospel to the other people. Um, and so at that time, yeah, there was there was growth, um, but it was also, everything was really shrouded in secrecy. Um, and there was, and at the same time, because there isn't that much, um, there, were, there weren't that much training or theological training, it was also easy for people to kind of fall into false beliefs. Um, and yeah, and I think kind of all of that, the, the, turned, got worse uh, during the Cultural Revolution, uh, which is when uh, they, they really tried to eradicate religion within China, and they would tear down churches. Um, is this during the same time pastors. as Mao? Oh, yeah, yeah, this is during Mao, this is during the, the 60s and 70s. Yeah, so that was kind of like the most intense time of persecution. And, and so I, at that time, there was just like this iron curtain and people outside of China didn't really know what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people wondered if there were any Christians left. Um, but after, after China started opening up, so that's uh, after the death of Mao, um, around like in, in like night, the late 1970s, as, it, as China began opening up to the world and they wanted to uh, increase their relationships with the other countries, they wanted to expand like their economy um what what we found was that actually christianity had survived and was actually growing 
And it was just through the work of the Holy Spirit and not really the work of man or missionaries. And at that time, um, there was kind of a relaxation um, on religion. And at that time, the president, Deng Xiaoping, he, he kind of had a different view of religion, which is that it exists, we can't eradicate it, so let's try to control it from getting too big, um, too fast. But and these, so, was this still mm-hmm. underground? Yeah, so there at that time, so <clears throat> under Mao, there was this, uh, the three self-patriotic movement, which was a government-sanctioned church. It's also three self church. And then you had a different category of house churches. Mm-hmm. And so after the opening up, um, there was room actually for house churches to meet. Um, and they were kind of allowed to do that. And part of it was because uh, the government had seen that when you persecute churches, it actually grows. And so there's kind of this gray area of, uh, of these house churches that were allowed to continue meeting. And so these house churches actually started to grow. They would sometimes no longer meet in houses. They would actually rent an office place. Um, And so even pretty recently in the past few years, you can see some of these house churches have hundreds of people or even a thousand people. Wow. And so so it's not really the idea you have in your mind of what an underground church looks like. Um, and so that's kind of that's just kind of how things have changed in China, and you're seeing also um, like more, especially with the internet, you're seeing more Christian media, you're seeing Christian content. Um, when people sometimes think about the internet in China, they think about censorship, um, and and things definitely there is a lot of censorship, and there if you know if you type in stuff like the like Tiananmen Square or democracy, you're not going to get a lot of results um, on on the Baidu search. But if you type in Christianity, there's actually a lot of websites that will come up. And so there's actually kind of been this opening up where they're allowing um, Christian content as long as it's not political. So now? Yeah, so this is in the past... Uh, past few, yeah, past few decades. That that opening up was really kind of the maybe the early two thousands, um, and things actually started getting worse That's what I more recently. Okay, right under President Xi Jinping. Okay, um, and so yeah, so this is kind of a, a new, more recent crackdown, mm-hmm. and I think so. The so President Xi Jinping he has this idea of sinicizing Christianity. Um, which means to kind of reshape religion so that it supports the ideology of the Chinese Communist Party. Mm. And last year in 2018, uh, they they enacted these new religious regulations, um, and that has really tightened tightened the space that uh, churches have to 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 worship to move. So so the, some of these regulations are is that it, it, they ban Christians from traveling overseas to attend conferences, because that's actually something that's been pretty common um, in the, I guess, the past few decades is that, you know, yeah, you can't meet, you can't all gather together in China to have like a conference, but they can go to Hong Kong or they would go to just another place in Asia and they would meet there. Um, So that was banned. And also they, 
said that anyone, uh, like that landlords could not rent out spaces to churches. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I mentioned, some of these house churches had gotten bigger and they were meeting um, in rented buildings and they were doing it very publicly. So there's not the traditional idea of underground as in like you're hiding, but sometimes these churches will have their addresses on like Apple Maps because they don't have Google. So, you know, like on, on, yeah, so you could find your way there. Uh, They would put their sermons online. They would have podcasts that you could listen to. Um, but so recent, more recently, this this crackdown, um, it's it's been kind of more targeted towards uh, areas where there's a large number of Christians. So, for instance, the Henan province, Anhui province, they've been feeling a lot of this crackdown, um, and they've they've also been they've been taking down crosses from churches. Um, part of that is because I think they, especially in areas like Zhejiang, which has a, a large population of Christians, um, there were a lot of crosses all over the city, like hmm. in the skyline, there's just crosses. Um, and, and they didn't, I think the government didn't want it to feel like that was, that God was in control of that city, but they wanted to feel like they were in control. Mm. So, so the crackdown is, is a, there's, they're targeting places where there's a lot of Christians Mm -hmm. and where, where it's visible, it sounds like. And so they would, they are trying to get these churches to adopt a, a, it sounds like a government mandated church state kind of, (laughs) um, is that correct? If I were talking to just the normal person who's listening, how would you just explain, explain it in layman's terms? What, what you're seeing, um, the government do? They are. So, so the, the cross demolitions was kind of, um, something they did first. And then they're also cracking down and and shutting down churches. Hmm. Um, and some of the ones they target are churches that are bigger um, and more influential. And, okay. and then again, churches that are in this, these areas such as uh, that have a big Christian population. And kind of what's happening is that um, they're trying to break the churches down and so that they, um, they are meeting in smaller groups again. So it's kind of going back to how it was before where, where you're meeting in a home, you have maybe like, you know, 20 people gathering together. So you're kind of seeing a return to that. And so within also within the government sanctioned churches, um, the Chinese government has been um, it really trying to influence, you know, what is being preached in the pulpit. Hmm. Uh, there's instances in which they are putting pictures of the president and mm-hmm. Mao Zedong next to the cross. Hmm. Uh, and then there's instances or, or videos where they are having people sing that, like the national anthem beforehand. And so they're really trying to like synthesize religion. Wow. Cause in their mind, they see it as like a, a Western or for a foreign religion. Hmm. Now, how have Christians been able to follow God even amid this adverse them adverse environments? What what are people saying on the ground? Yeah, so actually, the the group of people who are kind of facing the current crackdown 
um, they've, they've never really experienced persecution before. Right. Because that was kind of something that the previous generation had experienced. And so before, I'd say like the, the, the past few years when things have gone tighter, if you ask them what the biggest problem the Chinese church is, they wouldn't say it was persecution. They would say it's like materialism or secularization. Um, it, so it would be a lot of other things. Yeah, so there's people who ha are, are seeing this as an opportunity because they think that um, in this adverse environment that that they can grow spiritually. And before, and also before the recent crackdowns, when things were a little more, there was a little more freedom, you see churches um, just doing things or trying to influence uh, their community. And what I mean by that is, they they would go out and they would evangelize, um, right? They would after the Sichuan earthquake in two thousand eight, um, a lot of Christians started going there uh, as for relief aid for the earthquake, mm -hmm. and from there they started these Christian charities. And so some of them, you know, started schools. Some of them, you know, provided aid for victims. Some of them you know, reached out to minority groups. And so you kind of see a beginning of uh, kind of Christian charity. Mm. There's also been a movement in the past, I'd say 10 years of Christian, Christian schools starting. And part of that is that people are coming to Christ, they're getting married and they're having kids and they don't want to raise their kids up in the atheist uh, school systems in China because they think there's a lot of brainwashing. They don't like, you know, the stress and the corruption in the schools. And so churches have started their own Christian schools. And that obviously there's some successes and there's also some definitely challenges right. because this is people who have, you know, have no, no real experience starting schools. Um, but you're seeing that kind of passion where they they want to, train up their children in the way of the Lord. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the last thing I'll mention is there's been a huge movement of, of cross-cultural missions as well. And there has been this movement called Mission China 2030, in which they want China, the Chinese church wanted to send out 20,000 missionaries uh, in, by 2030. And That's they, amazing. They consider that, yeah, they consider that their gospel debt because of all the foreign missionaries who came to China. And so there's, again, there's some successes and there's some challenges because, you know, the, you're kind of creating a missionaries out of people who have not that much background or, or that much training, or even like churches don't know how to support them. Um, but there is this desire to bring the gospel to other countries um, and, and a lot of it is actually along this uh, the countries that China is partnering with for the Belt and Road Initiative so it's a lot of Middle Eastern countries so you're seeing Chinese people moving out there and, and, and sharing the gospel. That's amazing so do, would you say that the current persecution is kind of igniting a desire for the gospel to go forward? Definitely I think there's I think the church, because they have um, in their very recent history seen how persecution can can grow a 
church, how it can, you know, revive a church. I think that some, at least some people are seeing this as, yeah, an opportunity. Some of them will see this as uh, a, like a blessing that they're able to suffer for Christ mm. and they're able to, um, to persevere through it. Although obviously on the, on the flip side, there's also people who are, you know, now kind of leaving the church because they're too afraid to go. Mm. So you can, you kind of see both. Yeah. So there's a, a need for us to pray for endurance so that they can continue. Definitely. To, yeah. Um, um, what's an example of a house church that has been outspoken in public in trying to be a light in their community? I know that we have seen some stories and I w- wondered if you have covered any or have any in mind. Yeah, there's one church that comes to mind that I have uh, reported on uh, quite a few times in the past few years, and that's the church in Chengdu is called Early Rain Covenant Church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that this this church is very unique. It's I, I it would not I would not say that it is uh, typical or common in any way. I, it is very well known within China as well. Um, and is well known because uh, this pastor, Pastor Wang Yi, he is really, really at the forefront um, of, of of house churches kind of pushing the boundary. Mm. And so, what what I mean by that is they uh, he used to be a a legal uh, a, le- a law scholar, a legal scholar, and so he knows the Chinese law very well. Um, and so, and he used to be kind of part of this uh, like intellectual community. And he then he became a Christian. Um, and so he's someone who is not afraid to speak out against the government. Um, and he has, you know, written letters or, or, or publicized letters calling the government out for persecuting other churches and Christians. And, and his goal really is to make his church um, a public church. Like he doesn't want to be the house churches to be underground. Mm-hmm. He wants them to be in the community, um, like serving the people and being very public about what they're doing. Um, and so he, the the church uh, is engaged in a lot of what is considered pretty sensitive uh, issues. For instance, they reach out to the family of political prisoners. Mm. Um, and because in, in China, those people are really like the untouchables. Mm. Um, because because they're connected to somebody who is very sensitive. And then they also reach out to petitioners who often are people who had their land taken away um, by the government and they go to petition to right these wrongs. And they're also a very sensitive group of people. But so Wang Yi and his church wants to, wanted to reach out to these types of people. And they also have a pro-life ministry as well. Mm. Um, and, telling women, you know, not to abort their children. And uh, this church is, uh, and and some of the churches around it uh, that that are also reformed, they have formed a presbytery. Uh, They have a seminary. They have classical Christian schools. And they've kind of formed also a Christian college. And so, again, these, uh, these things are, are, are very new in China. And so there's a, often a lot of successes, but also challenges with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and, and he's also had his detractors who think that, 
you know, the things that he's engaged in are too sensitive and he should, you know, keep his head down more and just preach the gospel. Hmm. But uh, in talking to him, he, he, he's convinced that this is what God has called him to do. And he knows the risks involved. And actually last December, the government cracked down on that church. Right. And uh, they arrested more than 100 people at the church. Mm-hmm. They, they, the police didn't go during a church service, but they actually went to the parishioners' homes and they kicked down the doors right. and they arrested them. And a lot of those, a lot of those people were released after a few days, um, but continued to be monitored. Uh, but but the a few, the elders. Um, the church leaders were were held for much longer. And actually right now, Pastor Wangi is still in prison. I thought so. Um, I and, thought so because I, I remember yeah. reading and, and seeing um, news articles about this story. And so he's still in prison. And is the church continuing? So the church had been shut down, okay. but the members of the church, they are still meeting in homes. And the way they they kind of do this is uh, there there's still some some of the some of the preachers who have not been arrested they will record a sermon or or they'll use like a video like over a video video conferencing and each of these small groups uh, these small little house churches I guess groups would watch the videos uh, they would sing the same songs. And the the only difference is that they aren't able to meet together. Mm. So I just, my thought, my first thought was, I really want to long for Jesus. Like, like they are longing for Jesus and that they're, they're willing to, to go through anything to, to learn his word and, and hear his word. I just think it's remarkable. And, um, and I do wonder, are they in any danger, um, from in meeting in the homes? So it's, it's, is it more of the collective big, large church or is the government okay with them meeting in the various homes as long as they're not gathering in together? The government has, uh, police have raided some of these, uh, smaller gatherings as well. Mm. Um. But in, in general, most of the time, they are able to meet. I think that at, I think at some level, the government realizes that there's no way that they can eradicate Christianity. They have tried, and it's just not possible. Yeah. And so I think what they are, are happy with is, is just to maybe shut down some of these bigger churches, some of these more visible signs, like, like the crosses, um, because there's no way that they could have enough people to watch every group of, of believers who gathers together on a Sunday. And so they've also become uh, these the people of this church. They also will, will they don't, um, they'll maybe text each other on an encrypted messaging system, wow. like where to meet so, so that the government can't, uh, so to, 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 to evade uh, some of the monitoring by the police. Wow, that's remarkable. This community and these house churches, um, has how has the role of foreign missionaries changed from China's opening up in 1979 until now? So when China first opened up, it really wanted to, uh, 
it wanted to grow economically. It wanted to uh, help its people um, just just rise in its social in their socioeconomic uh, levels. And so they they were very they were very willing to have Americans come to China to to teach in universities or to teach English in schools. And so a lot of missionaries use that opportunity to go to China. And if you talk to some of the older uh, Christians in China right now, a lot of them would tell you that that's how they became believers. Mm. You know, it's somebody in college, they, they had the, a teacher who befriended them and, you know, invited them to a Bible study. And so, so in the beginning, in that, at, at that time, uh, it, a lot of it was this kind of friendship evangelism and, and I think they did really good work. And over time, as, as the Chinese church grew, uh, there was a little bit less of a need for that because the Chinese people could, were evangelizing themselves. And so then missionaries kind of took a, a more supportive role in maybe like training pastors mm-hmm. or, you know, providing some of the these skill sets that, uh, that the Chinese church did not, not yet have. You know, like I mentioned the, the school, so they needed uh, uh, what missionaries to teach how how do you teach from a, like a, a biblical worldview? How do you you know what does it mean to be a missionary? How do you how do you do cross culture culture missions? But actually, recently in this in this latest crackdown that I've been talking about, uh, China's actually kicked out a lot of the missionaries, hmm. uh, a lot of Western missionaries and a lot of Korean missionaries, and so it's. It's kind of entering a, a kind of a new stage again, where where it is going to be on the Chinese church to you know to continue growing and to train each other, the, uh, to train others and disciple others. And I think now the mission foreign missionaries are actually almost a liability in China because if a church in China is known to have you know close relations with foreigners, uh, the government would be suspicious. Mm. You know, they have a lot of fears about foreign infiltration through churches. And so really, I think the our foreign missionaries roles are, are is even more in the background in, in, in prayer. And um, and in, in one one person I talked to, he was he he had he had been in China for many years. And he said one way that these missionaries who had been kicked out of China can help uh China, the Chinese church is by, you know, may, maybe going to these other countries uh, that Chinese missionaries want to go to, you know, like in Pakistan or in these other countries and to help them uh, kind of get settled and teach them in how to do cross-cultural missions in that location. Oh. So there's definitely still opportunities, but it's very different than what it looked like uh, just a few decades ago. The podcast is called Stories of Sacred Endurance. And do you have any stories or, or that you've seen um, from Christians who have either been persecuted, who have endured, and, um, and, and maybe it's been years. Maybe there's someone who was alive. Well, there definitely would be someone who was alive in 1976 or who experienced Mao and is now still running the race um, with endurance. Yeah, there was a, a pastor I had met a few years ago. So she uh, in China there are a lot of female pastors um, because in the at the time 
I mean, I, in general, a lot of the, the people who became believers were women. Um, and, and also because the men had to work and didn't have time to, you know, to spend preaching. And so this, this woman, she, um, I, I think I, I might be mistaken, but she was from Henan. And I remember she was sharing with me how, yeah, she became a believer uh, in, in one of these very rural areas. And in the, when I mentioned earlier about, you know, how some, you know, some, for some churches would only have, you know, one, one book of the Bible. Like she was the one who told me that like, that was her experience. And she said she became a Christian. And then the second day they asked her to, you know, to lead, lead worship because they were, they were just, they just had so few people. And then very quickly afterwards, she was out evangelizing. And so when I had met her, she had kind of become kind of a higher level pastor of a, of a, a larger network of pastors. And, and she was just, she was just talking. She was just talking about how different things are today, hmm. and, and then than they were when when she was became a believer until now. Just yeah, just the differences, uh, and, and just that, and you know, really now anyone who has a phone, you can download a Bible app. You can get different translations. You can get you know commentary. And so for her, she was just she's just like marveling at how much has just has changed, and just the free like how much more freedom they have to to worship than they did back then. So there is more freedom now, even under the persecution. Um, and so I, I guess part of maybe for us, as we end our time, we can be praying that that all rights aren't restricted. Is there any other things that we can be mm -hmm. praying for, for the persecuted church in China? Yeah, I think, I think that what they would want prayer for is that they would be able to stand firm um, during the difficulties uh, that, and, and like I mentioned, I think some of them are thankful for the persecution. They are, they, they know that this is a time that will grow them and that they, that this will be a time that the church will grow. Yeah, they will, they will grow personally and the church itself will grow in numbers. Um, and I, I think we should just pray that they would be steadfast in their beliefs and to not be afraid. Thanks for listening to Stories of Sacred Endurance. If you are enjoying it, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That will help more people discover and hopefully be encouraged by this podcast. And be sure to pick up a copy of my new book, Sacred Endurance, from InterVarsity Press. InterVarsity Press is offering podcast listeners 30% off the book through March 2020. Go to ivypress.com and use the code SACRED30 for 30% off and free shipping on your copy of Sacred Endurance. Thanks for listening.